Every week, we offer you the chance to get in touch with us and give us abusive comments. And I just wanted to say thank you for getting in touch, those who have. Yeah, it's been nice. And, yeah. and for not giving abusive comments, we're actually doing the opposite for saying really lovely things. Um, more, more than that, uh, we know that we've been listened to on more than one continent at this point. And our uh, listenership has pretty much doubled in the last week. And given that we're only just now about to start talking about Arnold's big films. The best, the best set of films, really. I can't believe that there are that many fans of the Jane Mansfield story out there <laughs> that just really had to hear what we had to say. So you're obviously all sharing, and that means a lot to us. And please continue. And uh, that's the only thing we'll ever ask you to do is to just share this yeah. and, and, and get in touch. Give us yeah, your thoughts. Yeah, getting in touch is one thing, but we're not ashamed to ask for shares. It's, it, will be, it helps us. It's nice. And we, we're not, we are doing it for us. But it's nice to have an audience too, and we want your feedback and suggestions, and that would be great. So thanks. Yeah. To the Arnithology, the unofficial Arnold Schwarzenegger podcast, Phase, Phase two. 2. I'm Ben Hyten. And I'm Alex Bellardi. Hello. And I think it's safe to say we are both extremely excited and pleased oh, yeah. to be watching Conan the Barbarian. Uh, 1982, directed by John Milius, written by John Milius and Oliver Stone, who... Yeah. Yeah, at this time was uh, he written Scarface? He wrote this. He hadn't even directed a movie. Platoon. Yet. That was okay. no, no. That's three or four years away yet. All right. Just before we get started, John Milius and Oliver Stone, two people. I think it's safe to say obsessed with the Vietnam War. I did not know that. Yeah. Anyway, so warfare. It's in their wheelhouse. In yeah, absolutely, indeed. Yeah. Where to start? I I don't know. I mean. Like as soon once we once we got on and before we we started recording, you were saying how um, the more you enjoy a film, the less notes you have on it. And yeah. I, I I have to say, ditto. You know, it was I just I just watched it, you know. And so this is going to be interesting for us because I've got loads to say. I had loads of thoughts and feelings and emotions watching this film. I ended up watching like deleted scenes in the making of afterwards, which I never really want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just gave me so much more insight into, again, Arnie's career, um, his progression, where he was at the time, um, and how interesting this movie is also for cinema at that time as well. And for sure. what was going on. Absolutely. Um, which surprised me, because you kind of don't really think of Arnie as having an impact on cinema, his movies, as having a great impact on cinema, mm. um, other than you know the action genre. But this this did a lot. This did a lot for, uh, in terms of people uh, meeting a niche. There were very few. I mean, comic book films are, are, the, are the the thing now. You know, it's we're in the era of comic book movies. Yeah. Um, but it was not a thing really to do back then. No, we'd had Superman the movie um, a couple of years before this. Um, Superman two had probably come out by then as well. And years before that, obviously, the Adam West Batman show. And, but yeah, you're right. Um, I think graphic properties, which is what this is, were, were very thin on the ground. And 
for good reason, because with the limitations of visual effects and practical effects at the time, they were prohibitively expensive. I mean, Oliver Stone's original draft of this was actually not set in a medieval fantasy period. It was actually set far in the future. That's that's interesting. I didn't know that. I knew it was epic. I knew it was... It were talking Lord of the Rings epic. Yeah. Kind of. What we've seen in more modern times. But given that this, this film shot in 1981 and sorry 1980 and 1981 and came out in 82 the budget for Oliver Stone's script at that time was uh, basically ringmarked at about 70 million which is what, so what what's the average so well I mean that's not chump change today but back then almost definitely the most expensive film ever made so wow. John Milius you know rewrote it and and set it in that more recognizable period that's that's more common to the Robert E. Howard um, yeah. stories and just slash the budget in half. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that's my understanding. Is it took some doing to get it off the ground. Yeah. Um, and what, but what's interesting is that, at least in what I saw and heard, that there was, on, there was only sort of... the Most of the resistance wasn't from the fact that it was this obscure comic book character that not many people had heard of. People were familiar with period pieces. Even the art director said that... In the end, it ended up looking less like a fantasy and more like a an ancient times piece. Yeah. So we had we we've seen this before, you know. That's it's kind of what a lot of the earlier movies w- were, and yet it does still have some of the sort of mythological elements, some of the dark age elements that you'd get in, say, for example, something like Game of Thrones, where you don't really know what time period it's set in, yeah. but it's clearly in a time period, a, a dark age time period. What's interesting about you saying that Oliver Stone's vision was to set it in the future was that I think it was the music director. He was saying actually it was set earlier than medieval Dark Age. That's times. right. Yeah, it was set around ten thousand BC. Right. But, but right. John Milius drew on medieval designs and things like that. It's interesting because what what is that? I mean, at, at the risk of showing my ignorance, is that are we talking Stone Age? Pre, yeah, absolutely. Pre civilization. Yeah. Yeah, and and yet you see in Conan the Barbarian, at least the way it's visualised, we see, we do see civilizations cropping up. We've got villages being raped and pillaged at the beginning, um, and you see like epic monuments and, and buildings, edifices um, put up in the name of certain gods. But I I think again, in terms of uh, time period, I think, and also back to Oliver Stone's original vision. He had a much bigger idea for this than it ever became. Even with the there's there's a modern remake which I've not seen. No, I haven't either. Um, uh, I don't know whether it's a remake, a reboot, a continuation of the story. I, well, I it's, it's supposed to be go, like they always say, going back to the source, going back to right, the books, right. doing it more true to Robert E. Howard. So it's so it's that rather than it is saying we're going to pick up where the Conan film franchise. Yeah, no, sort it's, of left off. It's, or a, left, no. it's a reboot. Yeah, yeah. But what I'm saying is that again, it, at the risk of not talking enough about Arnie and his career and his films, I was really fascinated to learn that Oliver Stone had this epic vision that I don't see anywhere. I mean, God, uh, you know, Canon the future. So you're talking post-apocalyptic, right? Yeah, absolutely. Post civilization. Yeah. yeah, and that would mean that you'd get like remnants of technology. You'd get like magic and science mixing. And well, we don't. We don't know. Uh, my assumption would be that. You know, sort of technology would have been destroyed, and 
so the old gods would have resurfaced, basically. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, we don't I mean, know. He had things in there. I saw it, like gene splicing and things like that. You can see the script, like mutants. They're called mutants. Uh-huh. And um, where, you know, you get these hybrids, and which would explain the, uh, the main evil dude, uh, his metamorphizing abilities. Yeah. Let's set it up, and I think it's safe okay, to say it. if you if you haven't seen Conan the Barbarian, and this is going to be true of pretty much all the films that we do now, um, you might want to skip this conversation and and go and watch Spoiler. it and come back because yeah Spoilers. we're gonna we're gonna spoil it all, and I mean all yep. of it right up to the end credits. We're not even gonna try. No. Uh, so on your head, be it. Sound the spoiler collection. <laughs> It's a it's a pretty standard uh, epic quest movie. Uh, we meet Conan when he's eight or nine, I guess, uh, and Thulsa Doom, played by James Earl Jones. Say it again. Thulsa Doom. So his him and his men ride into this uh, village. The culture of these villages is very based on Norse mythology, I think. Yeah, I mean they they they, they did they they, they, they worship they get away from it. They worship a yeah. god called Krom who lives in the earth and is the the ruler of steel. Yeah, um, I mean, Arnie even at one point says, you know, he's he's up there. He'll let him into Valhalla. Yeah, know, exactly. You know, so um, anyway, so Thulsa Doom's men come in. They they we don't know why they're there, but they burn everyone, kill everyone, kill. Um, Conan's dad, who puts up a pretty good fight, um, yeah. and then with the sword he just built, he just made, yeah, yeah, uh, and chop off Conan's mum's head, um, not even in front of him while he's holding her hand. Yeah, it's cinematically quite beautiful, albeit grotesque. It's great the way it's done. Yeah, um, and it sets up something that I really respect in the filmmaking, which is that. So much of the story is told through visuals and action and music. There, yeah, yeah. Conan doesn't even have a line of dialogue for the first 20 or so minutes. Anyway, Conan is taken in uh, by these this other tribe and, and they're not sort of the noble savages. They actually use him for slave labour. And then you have that great montage of him pushing the wheel. It's like a millstone. It's awesome. It's awesome. And, he, and he becomes Arnie. And he, he basically is on the path to becoming Russell Crowe's character in Gladiator. Pretty much, it's kind of the same story in that sense. He's, of, he's, yeah. he's, you know, this Arnie-sized man in in sort of cave fights, in ring fights, beating people to death, stabbing them, and all sorts. And he even holds out his hands when he's done it. And I wanted him to go, "Are you not entertained?" <laughs> um, anyway, he ends up on a quest for revenge, and uh, also, which he, he kind of seems to have forgotten. Right, our guy at this moment, he's like, he's a slave. Yeah. And he's a, he's a slave gladiator, and he gets glory and all this stuff. But you're kind of thinking, where is it? In, it's not sort of in him. It doesn't seem to be part of his character, right? You, you don't. You think he's kind of just forgotten about his quest for revenge. Well, I think there was something in Marco's uh, narration about there was still a there was something unresolved in him. Like he, it was fulfilled yeah. by this this glory and this love that he was receiving from the crowd. But there was still something. Uns- I'm sure that was in there. Yeah. Well, it is in there, but I think it's. There is stuff in there, in there about that, but again, so you got that narration in conjunction with what you see on the screen, and what you see on the screen is a man who's really soaking up this glory. You don't see this sense of anything unfulfilled. 
it's reminding a little bit of that about that um what's that martial arts film with a guy he's on a leash and he gets let off a leash and he goes yeah. nuts and unleashed he, is it is that what it is <laughs> yeah, gently, yeah. <laughs> yeah okay so it reminded me a bit, bit of that thematically and then it's there's a moment where the original guy who buys arnie as a slave from that mill yeah which is one of my favourite scenes in the film, actually, yeah. just the way he, he grew, he grows just by pushing this mill. You assume he'd do another shit, but it pretty much looks like that's all they're doing, right? I don't, I don't assume that at all. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, you know, he's got to eat, he's got to... I don't I, know what's I, going See, on. it's never actually explained what that millstone does, and I wondered if that was the early version of the crank in um, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I, do you know what's so interesting about it? The art director was, like, reading... Um, Oliver Stone's description in the script and all it said was the wheel of pain yeah that's what it's called and it is it is more like the crank in Kimmy Schmidt than it is a mill and the art director was like oh it's got to do something right and I guess if Oliver Stone had any sort of input at that point he might have said no it's a wheel of pain that's what it does but to what end then why would you take these slaves and just go I think it's a natural selection thing Oh, because all of the other people do seem to die off, and he's that's pushing right. on his own. And whoever, if somebody's left, they're like, "Yeah, that guy," yeah, and okay. that's why he comes along. And but that's my that's my interpretation. Right. So yeah, I mean, but it's hard to believe that you'd get as ripped as Arnie. Like maybe your legs and calves would be great, maybe your arms as well, but there'd be other parts of you that would be seriously uh, like underdeveloped, right? Well, you'd have to be taking in like eight thousand calories a day. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be like he'd have like a fat drip, you know. Just yeah. <laughs> anyway, anyway, his his o- his yeah. owner frees him. He bumps into a thief. Well, so that's the thing. His, own, his owner frees him, right? Back to the Mako narration. He's saying that there was something left in Arnie, the guy who originally bought Arnie as a slave and put him into this gladiatorial arena. It seemed as though the greater Arnie became, the more sort of admiration he had for him. And there's just a moment where he he just. He decides to free him. There's no... Arnie never tries to escape. He never tries to do that. And in that moment, it's like... It's almost like Conan doesn't really know what to do. Uh, he's like, okay, I'm being freed. And he literally has to say, go, go. You know, yeah. like, get out of here. So I, that's what led me to believe... I don't think that at this point in the story, Conan really has revenge on his mind. No, yet. and it becomes a mythical quest. Because when he's in the cave and he sees the rusted sword... Yeah, and and the the skeleton. That's when he yeah. remembers Crom. Yeah, he is and like his, a child and his, and his, his father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's where it's it starts. And obviously, once he meets um, the thief Subutai, Subotai, and um, the female warrior Valerian, he ends up on a quest to save a princess as well, which happens to tie into it's Thulsa Doom who's taken her. So. Yeah. I get the princess, bring her back. I get jewels because yeah. he's on a mission with this thief to rob palaces and temples and yeah. things at the time. And I get a shot at redemption and I, you know, revenge from my father so I can kill this dude. It's kind of perfect. Seems to have taken a long time to, to do what is a very basic storyline. But the rest yeah, of it is... Because I kept interrupting you. But there's lots of, there's lots of kind of mythical stuff in there. First of all, Arnold is top billing. Straight away, it's his first. He's the first name we see. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, great. There's a quote from um, Nietzsche at the top yeah. of this film as well, and yeah. that's something that I, I, 
I was kind of looking for, but I couldn't really get anything out of it. But there apparently have been essays written about how Conan is presented here as almost an Aryan. And this is a story about fascism triumphing over a tribal culture because James L. Jones is obviously African-American. Yeah. Arnold is an Aryan poster boy. Right. I, don't know, I didn't really get anything out of that. I don't know if you did. Maybe I'm not smart enough or I don't know enough about Nietzsche. What do you mean, get anything out of it? Well, I didn't really get that coming out of the film. I didn't I didn't find that this was a particularly deep film. I thought it was a, a very well-written film. No, no, it's not. And I think you're right to, to call it on that. So whilst we are going to talk excitedly, enthusiastically about this film, it, I, by no means can I say that this is the greatest film of all time. It's, it's, it's barely a good film. But Ooh, I would put it in the category of, of good awesome fun entertaining there are some things about it that make it fall short but also just at this juncture that's just for me um at this juncture i want to add that with all of these older films you know it's important to recognize that these films we're looking at them from of their time yeah and i don't think it's fair to compare them to more modern films especially effects wise i mean it's just it's again it's not fair and there are some effects in this that actually i felt work better than they might look, say, were they modern effects. Well, if nothing else, the blood, of which there is a lot. I am yeah. so sick of CG blood in films. I think it right, looks awful. One of the things I like about um, Quentin Tarantino's modern films is that he, he still uses buckets of real blood. But the blood in this looks great. And I was thinking, well, I, you know, I really miss this. That's a real mor- liquid, morbid thing to say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although actually there was real blood in a lot of places, they used animal well, like blood, pig, to, pig blood, yeah, yeah, stuff. to create yeah, pools okay. of blood. Yeah. Um, so, but you're talking about sort of the the post production effects or the yeah, physical like the met- effects? Well, both. Okay. Uh, the metamorphosis of Thalsa Doom as uh, a point at one point he turns into a snake. That's done really well, and also it, uh, like spirits. There's a bit where Arnie's being brought back to life yeah. or healed. There are all these spirits climbing over him and his love interest. I forget her name. Berg's Bergman? Something Bergman? Well, the character's called Valerian. Uh, uh, yeah, Sandal Bergman, I think. Bergman. She got a, a Best Actress glo- Golden Globe for this. Wow. And actually, Arnie got a Razzie for this. <laughs> I don't know if you know that. That's, that's unfair. I, I think so, because, well, we'll talk about it later. The, the, but the Razzies are so mean-spirited anyway. Agreed. And I think, again, there was a... I know we're going off track and we're, we're detouring a little bit. There's a lot. There's a lot on Arnie's career. This is a pivot for him in his career. That's all I'll say right now. Oh, I think it's a quantum leap. Uh, there's no two yeah. ways about it. Yeah. And you look at this and you think, well, of course, this is what he was born to play. Why is he being stuck playing romantic parts and comedy yeah, parts yeah. up until now? Yeah, this was struggling it. to get this. I can't remember what it is this. This um, it's the guy who was trying to get some money for it a big in the initial stage the italian guy dino de laurentis yeah and he was like will anybody uh understand him uh and and milius is like uh people hardly understand and un- understand you dino and he's like yeah but i'm not on screen mm-hmm. and milius's answer is if we didn't have arnold for this picture we'd have to build him there you go you know because he's just that's it it's that presence do you remember when we were watching scavenger hunt we said how nice his hair looked. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, true. That that was him growing it for this film. Okay, so this is why it had taken a long time. He knew he was getting into movies, so he had also he had done. When did the, production start? 
It started in 1980, but there was so many delays that he took things like scavenger hunt in the meantime to keep his profile up, which is pretty much what we were saying, I think. Yeah, that's um, interesting. But he really lobbied for the part. He, was, he didn't really know the character of Conan, but... Yeah, and, and, and what's interesting, in interview, Arnie reveals how aware he was about the culture around him as an actor at the time. Like this sort of can he put it off vibe that was around him. And he said all that made him do was make him work harder and take it more seriously. Which he clearly does. Like you can clearly see he's working hard at this. And much like a massive difference between that, even Scavenger Hunt and Jane Mansfield in his yeah, performance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I agree the Razzies can be cruel as well. But I also think that it was difficult for people to see this sort of foreign sounding actor. I mean, we're not that far away from the filmmakers deciding, making the decision to dub Arnie. You yeah, know? yeah. We're not that many years away from that. And so people questioning, like, is he going to, is it going to work? Are people going to receive him? Well, I think that after this film, that question's blown out of the water, but you get used to somebody's accent. You, you, you listen, you hear it and that's it. He's not incomprehensible at all in this film. No. And, and I think, you know, we keep coming back to his work ethic. I don't, I don't think anyone's going to say he deserved an Oscar for this performance, <laughs> but he did no be, because he wanted so much to have his own voice in the film. He got a new voice coach. Yeah, that's um, true. He also took the opportunity, and I think this is great, while he was working with Max von Sydow and James L. Jones to ask them for acting coaching. That's excellent. Um, I mean, and you're talking, these are two heavy hitters. They're excellent. I think he's it great. Seem, I think he's really great yeah, in it, James L. Jones. Without a doubt. One of the interesting things that we're talking about, and again, just to bring it back to Conan, the law, what was intended, the Thulsa Doom character, I feel they could have done a lot more with, actually, because of their original vision for it. The idea is not to explain too much about him, which is great to not have too much of like, who is this thing to have a bit of mystery around him. But the idea behind it was that he was the Oliver Stone's idea was that he's actually the last of a dying race. And that explains his anger when he's younger, like raping and pillaging on his village. Uh, It explains things like he doesn't age at all. And his sort of the mix of, sort of African-American, or African features. I guess it, it wouldn't be African-American in this in 10,000 years ago. And very long, straight black hair as well. And blue eyes. And Sorry? And blue eyes. And, and blue eyes, yeah. And so it gave this kind of, the kind, it gave this sort of image of a, of a, at that time, it would have been a race very, you would not have seen, you know. It would have been very rare and powerful. And so easy, easy to amass the cult following that he he clearly has in in the movie um i think it's a ve- the thulsa doom character is very interesting um, I, he's got a couple of like really great speeches where he's talking to arnold about the riddle of steel and saying steel is not strong the hand that wields it is and he's talking about the flesh and he's basically talking about control that, that if, is what he's talking about. if you if you control people it doesn't matter if the people that are coming against you carry steel and what does he do to demonstrate it look up there that beautiful woman come here my love come and she dives off a cliff through some wooden panel flooring and dies and the woman who did that by the way um achieved a world record for a free fall stunt at the same time 182 feet i think it was awesome that's cool (laughs) 
It's amazing. It's really good. But yeah, okay, so that's, you know, the Riddle of Steel. It's interesting because it it's almost like what the Thulsa Doom character is saying in that scene is the antithesis of what uh, Conan's father's telling him at the beginning. Yeah. And he's saying, Steel's the only thing you can trust. It's, like, it's, don't trust... It's, it's yeah. the god beater. It's the giant killer. Yeah, yeah. Don't trust anything else. And the mythology is that his people learned about steel because there was a battle between gods, and they they left their steel on the battlefield. I think they ended up going underground or something like that. And Arnie finds his sword that turns him into sort of a warrior after he's set free, a free warrior, you could say. And he finds his sword in an underground cave. When he finds it, he just sort of really uh, an, um, enamoured with the the whole experience, um, says the name of his god. He says Kram as he's looking at this dead figure, this dead uh, skeleton, you know, that he's stealing the sword from. You've got no idea. Of course it's not Kram. It's probably just a human that ended up down there, whatever. Well, it's actually supposed to be the remnants of Atlantis. That Well, okay, so that's that's exactly what um, Olive Stone was saying, is that the Thulsa Doom character is an Atlantean. Okay. Arnie ends up winning his sword back. He does He does to Thulsa Doom what Thulsa Doom did to his mother. And he chops his head off. And he he makes sure that he does it with the sword, mm. right? That you assume it's his sword, right? You assume like it's his family sword that's getting made. His parents are both making it. You see them making it. Yeah. Um, his dad's forging it. The mother's like applying leather to the handle. It seems to be important uh, for Conan to kill Thulsa Doom with the original sword uh-huh. and you see there's a difference between the original sword the one he finds in the cave and the reason we know the difference he's, he's taking both swords into his final um, foray I guess into Thulsa Doom's tower the, we know it's the original sword because it gets broken at one point and it's there's something about that for me in terms of the whole journey um, sort of coming to a close for him and him changing from this boy who's learning about steel his family being taken away from him completely forgetting about that and being you know put into slavery um coming out of that finding his freedom um hooking up with a thief and a lover who's an equally proficient fighter going on this quest this journey like you said to save someone's daughter and get revenge and it's like he's discovering sort of the boy the man he could have been and becoming sort of this strong presence that his father clearly is at the beginning. Well, this um, is, to, to, to tie back into what you were saying about comic book movies and, and the Marvel universe and all that sort of stuff, this is the Conan origin story and was intended yeah. to be just that. Yeah. There were going to be four sequels to this. Now, we arguably only ever really got one and a half with Conan the Destroyer and well, Red, Red Sonja. Um, but there was a trilogy. There was a trilogy slated. Yeah, but I mean, I don't remember very much about Conan the Destroyer other than it being not very good. But well, by the end of this film, I think actually the reason that maybe there wasn't a hunger for too much more is you kind of feel like, well, that was a pretty satisfying journey, actually. And he's riding off with the princess at the end. I don't know that I want to see more of him in that mode. We've, we've seen him develop. He has an arc. He has a real arc over the course yeah, of this film. Yeah, that's, that's what right. you're saying, you know, really. 
that is what I'm trying to say. And so, and you've brought me on to sort of the final point is that the film ends with the credits rolling, and Oliver Stone himself said that that's that scene at the end. It's not even a scene. The credits rolling, and in the background you see King Conan. You see Arnie on a throne with a beard, looking older, yeah. contemplating, you know, life and and his his quests. That's what you assume. And as a scroll comes up explaining that, and it's narrated and all that. This tale shall also be told. There you go. It's 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 giving it to you on a plate. It's saying we will tell you the tale of King Conan, his quests, what happened, how he got there, right? So that's why I'm saying, that's why I jumped in and said, well, there was a trilogy then. And Oliver Stone talks about a clear trilogy that he had in mind and he he had written. I think they went another direction with Conan the Destroyer and Red Sonja as well. There's good reasons production-wise why they went with it. I think they fall flat, like you said. It's not particularly good. (laughs) It brings me on to a point I wanted to make. I was relieved that the narrator... that. The character's called Mako, or what's the... No, no, the actor is called Mako, yeah, yeah. Mako, Mako. But he's just the wizard, he's the chronicler. Now, the thing is, is that when he came on screen, I was like, oh no, I just just don't want this sort of comic relief element. You know, that kind of like buddy thing where you get the brute and the fool, you know? I just thought, have, have him be sensible in his own realm... Have Arnie be sensible in his realm, and then maybe they're a bit foolish in when they cross over into each other's areas. So yeah, fine. When he crosses over into combat, it's a bit silly, and Arnie's like out of his depth with mysticism and all that. That that that's fine in terms of that, and it's not really there in the movie, so it works. But that feeling of like, oh no, I don't want some kind of comic relief sidekick for Conan. It ruins it. But he wasn't. Uh, no. But that's exactly what they do with Conan the Destroyer. Oh, okay. And that's what I, that's why for me, it just doesn't work in that sense. I was worried that the other, his buddy, the archer, I yes. can't remember his name. Subotai. When he first encounters him. Yeah. He, he, he could have been the Rob Schneider of the piece. Could have, Exactly. Thank you. You got me. And I was like, I don't, please no, please no. I didn't remember it enough to know whether or not he take but that guy's got skills right he's a good buddy i think he's a solid character and i yeah. think i think yeah. in hands other than john melius's what you're talking about is the way it would have gone even a george lucas or steven spielberg would have gone that route with it unless and this is why i made the little alien reference earlier ridley scott they were asking to do it at, at one point and i think that's really interesting because to put this in the context of um, cinema, what you were talking about in the beginning, there really wasn't another film in at least 10, maybe 15, maybe 20 years in the fantasy adventure genre that I think can touch this. I think when you said it's maybe not even a good film, I, I disagree with you. I think it's a really good film. And there were a lot of attempts to do films like this, including Red Sonja, Conan the Destroyer, all that sort of stuff. And I think because John Milius and Oliver Stone took it seriously and, more importantly, made it for adults. I mean, this is a stupidly violent film at times. Yeah, I mean, it got an X X rating. And they had to um, cut it down. Which is, I don't know for UK audiences, what's the equivalent? It doesn't really exist here anymore. It's above 18, basically. Yeah, well, it's the it's the forerunner to the eighteen, really, in this country. The American classification system is very different. The reason that I say it's interesting that they went to Ridley Scott is that really, 
it's not a fantasy adventure, but it's certainly a sword and sandal film. Is Gladiator is the first film after this, I think, that surpasses it in terms of quality. And again, part of the reason for that is because it doesn't shy away from the violence. It doesn't have to have the comic relief because it's not aimed at 12-year-olds. It's aimed That's at right. 15-year-olds and above. That's right. And it can be violent again. And, and yeah. it's, it's, it would have been really interesting to see what someone like Ridley Scott would have done with it. Because yeah. a couple of years later, he did Legend. And say what you want about Legend, it's a beautiful film. Yeah, and, it looks great. Yeah. And the makeup and things in it, yeah. the costumery is awesome. Yeah. I don't think he was quite ready to do a film like this just then. Yeah. When this, you know, was being made. But what a concept. And I believe he was on the cards to do King Conan some years ago when it was, I'm talking 15, 20 years ago. Right. Um, there is a revival at the moment, isn't there, for it to be made? It's in pre-production, yeah, King Conan, yeah. Right. Or Legend, Le- Le- Legend of Conan it is now. Oh, okay, fine. But, but which is um, going to be whatever King Conan was meant to be. A yeah. version of that story, yeah. yeah. And is Arnie attached? Uh, yeah, of course, yeah. Great, great. Uh, let's talk about our man. Let's talk about Arnie. Yeah, uh, okay. So, like I said, top billing. And all of that great stuff we were we were talking about with Jane Mansfield, where he actually gets to, to play a range of emotions. He gets all of that here. I think it's really nice to see him be funny. Yeah. In a few scenes. But fuck me, he looks good wielding a sword. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does. I mean, he really put in the hard work. Uh, whatever anyone's going to say about his acting ability. This is the Arnithology. Like, we're going to compare him to himself, right? We're not going to compare him to... Meryl Streep you know it's it's like aren't we well we could (laughs) uh but so you know he's doing well you know and he again an interview about about this film he's saying this unequivocally without a doubt this was his break he knew it was his break he knew that this was the thing that was gonna in his words allow him to put his past behind him and move from the world of bodybuilding to show business that that's that was his goal. That's what he wanted. This this film did this. This film gave him his break. It launched his career. So so look, we're comparing his performance to to him, not to other actors. I don't think you need to look at Arnold Schwarzenegger as an actor. I think he arrives fully formed in this film as a star. He's a movie star. He does what cinema is supposed to do. He moves and he looks great doing it. Agreed. And, and you know, he, was, he wasn't comparing himself to Humphrey Bogart or <laughs> Jim Stewart. He was, no. he was comparing himself to Steve Reeve and, you know, those guys. Yeah. Strong men who'd gone yeah. into acting. And you, you, you're absolutely right. And this is, this is one of the things I couldn't put my finger on during the Jane Mansfield episode. And that is the irony that Arnie was playing a character. What's his name? Mickey Hargitay. Mickey Hargitay who is the brand. He's his own brand. Yeah. And that's exactly what Arnie's trying to become. Arnold Schwarzenegger's trying to do that, and he he achieves it with his film. Exactly what you said. Very well, very well said in terms of he is the presence on screen, and he's not comparing himself to other actors. He's going to be Arnold Schwarzenegger in a movie, and he's going to tell us what that looks like, and and this is what that looks like. This is the first time we see it. Yeah, and he he didn't just redefine what a movie star could be. He created a new brand that other people tried to follow. Absolutely right. That That's exactly right. And you do see some follow-ups without the same success. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of the Arnie brand, 
I think it's the first time we legitimately hear his branded moan. Groan? Yeah, we need to come up with a name for that. The first time that we hear him make any vocal sound in this film is when he's fighting in the pit. It's the... It's the it's the, the Arnie Backer. Arnie Backer. <laughs> As in Chewbacca. Yeah. Yeah. Um well, it's kinda of, it, it can quickly turn into a, a Wookiee sound kind but of. But yeah, it, and it's it's glorious in this. It, you know? it is perfect. <laughs> it's know? all over and, the place. And we hear it more and more. It's like there's no holding back. There's a couple utterances, I think, in other episodes. We may have mentioned it, but this is the first time you really see it. Other Arnie staples? Anything else that you noticed? Well, we talked about it at the end of Jane Mansfield and, and how it, it gave me a little heart erection. Um, <laughs> what? Was the, it's not, the, not a heart. I'm going to call it the, the patented Arnie Schwarzenegger scowl. And he does it several times in this whilst wielding a broadsword. He's, yeah, got, I, he's got great eyes. I think that's what it is. It's, it's the brow, you know, that does it as well. But he has got quite... Yeah. Quite lovely eyes. Lovely. <laughs> well, he has. They're nice. Yeah, yeah. I guess you could I mean, they're say not, that. They're not nice, but I mean, they're, they're good. Good shape. Uh, yeah. Um, also, uh, yeah. well, this is the first appearance. I, I mean, I've seen him in a few, but I didn't realise he'd been in 14 or 18 movies. Um, Sven Oli Thorson is uh, the, the better looking of Thorson Doom's two henchmen. Yeah, I know the one. Um, who, the one who gets killed by that awesome contraption. And he's the, the only—he's the only one that keeps reappearing in Arnie movies, actually. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. So they—he got a part in this film just after winning. Um, I don't think it was World's Strongest Man. It was Denmark's Strongest Man. Yeah, the um, Dane. That's what they call him, the Danes. So Arnold brought him into this. Him. Now I, he's probably best known, I think, as playing the security guard in Running Man. Yes. Uh, but he yeah, was yeah. also Arnold's. A stunt double in it in a few films. That makes sense. So I think this this is definitely the first appearance of Sven Ali Thorson. Let's look out for him in future films because apparently he's in loads of them. Great. And also, and I didn't spot him, but he is in there. Franco Colombo. Yeah, right at the beginning. Uh, there's a scout for Thulsa Doom's Army. war, war yeah. party. Yeah, yeah, that that come destroys Arnie's village, Conan's village, and he's this kind of really stocky built scout and he he jumps up on top of a rock and is like looking out uh, i think that's him fair enough i didn't i didn't spot him i just saw that he i mean you've got to look out for a bodybuilder right staples anything else well i don't think they're staples at all i mean apart from it being his first properly violent film and it's interesting that arnold became synonymous with graphic violence that's i don't it. think that's i don't think there's been a movie star since outside of martial arts cinema whose films are so wantonly bloody and that's acceptable. Um, that's right, yeah. It became something for him. And and we'll see on this next run, this next phase of his films, that that's, you know, the violence is almost a character in and of itself. Yeah, it's like, I mean, ha- it, he is almost like um, Jason from the Friday the 13th films. When he goes into a room that's got saw blades and shotguns and pickaxes and there's 10 guys he's got to kill, it's like, ooh, there's going to be some good kills here. Let's see what the most inventive kill is. And and that's the thing. It's 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 not just amount of kills. It's inventive kills. Yeah. And I think that we need to establish that as a staple early on because we're going to see so many of them. <laughs> so much so that I think that directors, producers, writers for any films later on know 
that if you're going to make a Schwarzenegger movie, you've got to have in, some inventive kills. I, I like to think that, you know, he'd be on a set for a movie, like Commando, let's say. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the director would say, okay, so there's going to be 20 guys coming over the hill. You've got an M60. Uh, just do your yeah. Rambo thing. Just shoot them all. And go, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> we could have maybe uh, a shed over here with some tools and things in. I could, I could crash one with a hammer. I could yeah. <laughs> stab a saw through a man's scrotum. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah. know what. I don't know Arnold. Can we tone it down a bit? Yeah. Snap yeah, this guy's shoulder. <laughs> you know that's my fantasy. I would love it if that's how it went down. I mean, perhaps like once or twice, but. I'm going to rip his dick off. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I feel possible. like I feel like my Arnold's coming along quite well. Yeah, you're doing well, man. You're doing. Um, I, I'm. You're going to make me embarrassed to do mine. So. What keep I going. What, what I did note, it's not an Arnie staple at all. I think it bucks the trend. Is uh, a lot of boobs. A lot. Yeah, of... but just not making it a thing, right? Just like this is the Stone Age. We're going to see boobs. It yeah. wasn't like. But he he gets a fair bit of bone-in going on in this film as well. I don't think I've ever... I can only remember one or two other films where there's even a suggestion that he has sex with characters. I I agree. He beds at least three women in this film. Yeah, and and what's interesting about that, it's again this thing that we'll keep coming back to. It's kind of the shying away from making movies for for adults, right? And we're not just talking about adult films as in sexy films. What we're saying is... A film that says, you know, we're going to set a film in the Stone Age so you know some nasty things going to happen. I think that seeing at least certain TV series and the success that they've had, like Game of Thrones and things like that, it really shows that like, there is an appetite for sex and violence, and but done in a way that's not necessarily for the sake of it. I don't think this movie is doing it for the sake of it. I, I don't necessarily think that that's anything new. I don't think there's anything about him that meant that it is or is not going to appear in his movies. Violence, for sure. But sex is not It's not really the thing, right? As, as you pointed out. I wasn't surprised to see it. But again, that's because of the credibility that the writer and director had for like saying, we want to make this film what yeah. it would have been at that So time. that's because of the, the setting, yeah. Agreed. But, I, but I, what I guess what I find curious is, is that any of the other um, action stars, Mel Gibson, I'm talking about 80s action stars, sure. Mel, Mel Gibson, Bruce Willis, uh, even Stallone, Stallone yeah, yeah. Those guys are always, they always have like these very sort of blue lit bum moving up and down sex scenes. And Arnold doesn't get them. And I wonder if it's because he's so jacked that people think that's not sexy it's not sexy to see that movie or if he just he was the one who made the decision like I don't like doing sex scenes he was quite vocal about how how uncomfortable he was doing the sex scenes in it's this. a mystery your opinions please so anyway yeah bo- boobs in and bone in and booze in there's lots of lots of that in this film and you don't see that debauchery another staple of Arnie's we're talking about the introduction of violence uh and that is the catchphrase. Now, this is different from favourite lines for me, okay? Okay. And it's the first time we see, you know, Bond does it and other action heroes do it. Like, you just... It's the quip after you've done something. And I just wanted to make a note. It's not necessarily my favourite line, but I laughed because it was the first time in in this run of watching through Arnie's films there's been a proper kind of 
I kill someone and then I make a quip, right? Go on, I didn't, I didn't notice. It, yeah, it's the, it's, it's not very good though. But I laughed because it's like, okay, there it is. It started. Uh, it's when he is trying to infiltrate Thulsa Doom's palace, lair, whatever you want to call it, and there's a bunch of priests making their way in. He managed to get a priest off to the side. A gay priest. A, a clearly gay priest who's admiring on his body, who says, and he says, I'm really shy. Can we go somewhere where the others aren't looking? Straight away, he just like, pretty much rips his shirt open and starts yeah. stroking his chest. Yeah, it's pretty... It's You've pretty got awesome. a lovely body. You should show it to everyone. <laughs> kind of what he said. Not that camp. And... Um, Anyway, Arnie, Arnie cottons on to the fact that this guy's into dudes and he takes him off to the side and says, look, let's do this in private. And he's he's playing up to it. And he asks him, he said, uh, you know, are these, are these your robes? And the guy said, yes, it's all I've ever had. And then he just goes, oh, yeah, good. And then <laughs> just decks him like right in the, in the stomach, the nuts, I don't know what, right, really elbows him, I think. The guy falls to the ground. And then he says, that's all you'll ever need. Oh, right, yeah. It's not uh, a good one. I didn't it's think it was a really one. a quip. It's not, it's not but really come a on. quip. But it's like, when... Do, like a, qu- a quip would have been like, if he'd split a guy's head with an axe and go, he's got to split. Ex- right, exactly. I agree. I agree, you know. That's the... And, and we see, we'll see more and more of that. This is the first instance of, you just killed someone or wounded somebody, you know, badly. And then you make a comment afterwards, like, yeah. who does that? <laughs> like, when when do you ever do that? So I agree it's not quite a, a quip, but it's the introduction of that for me, for his for his brand, is to say, after I kill someone, I'm going to say something funny. And that's all you'll ever need is not great. I, it's not really so much about Arnie, but just in terms of the quality of the film, I think um, this couldn't have been a cheap film, even if it wasn't the one that Oliver Stone wanted to make sure. But, some of the production design is really fantastic. Um, Thulsa yeah, Doom's, I, that, without that, a doubt. That, those temple steps uh, in, in the scene just after the one you're talking about. Mm. All the palace sets, really, really great. I love um, when they do the raid, the first raid to save the princess, when there's like an orgy going on and they're having limb soup. Yeah. Um, the, the walls... Uh, behind Thulsa Doom are, are like snakeskin. They're, they're the pattern of snakeskin. And um, the sort of the balcony that Valerian climbs over is like a coiled snake. And it's mm. it's little details that you kind of take in subliminally Yeah, uh, that really add a texture to the world. And I think that's something that Lord of the Rings paid a lot of attention to is even, yeah. even if someone's not going to notice something in a scene, put it in there. Put the details yeah, in. I mean... Because it helps build was, it to the actors. If I was trying to do Lord of the Rings at the time, I would have thought, God, you know, whoever did who did the artwork and the design for this film, I, you know, I'd want them bang on, you know, in terms of quality and detail. Uh, you're right to pick up on that, and and I don't know, I can't really place it in terms of other films that are trying to do something similar, but I think it was pretty pretty damn good for its time, right? I don't think it. Yeah, I think the only the only sort of comparison there would be. Um, earlier than this is is the proper historical epics like Ben Hur, Cleopatra, all that yeah. sort of stuff. But they were they were mimicking reality, whereas this is compressing, mm. you know, millennia of history into 
one period, you know, yeah. so you can draw from Egyptian, you can draw from mm. Greek, you can draw from Norse and put it into this melting pot. And I think that's what makes it really interesting. That's yeah. certainly something that Game of Thrones does. Yeah. Um, the other thing about it that I think is really great, and it's nicely shot, is the score. Basil mm. Pelleteris' score say, is I'm fantastic. I'm so glad you mentioned it. Yeah. Uh, really, it really, really is. great. And I think, I think you can hear traces of that score in... T2. Um, well, I was going to say uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. There's oh, a, a there's a love theme that Valerian has when she's talking. Well, before they have sex for the first time, um, that's that's not dissimilar to Mina's theme in Bram Stoker's Dracula. Mm. And the the main theme, the battle theme, if you want, or Conan's theme, is um, very similar to the music that represents Isengard in the Lord of the Rings films. Mm. That kind of industrial anvil you know that steely sound that boom boom agreed yeah um so it's a great piece of music i mean i just hearing it again for perhaps the first time in 20 years i just i I instantly recognized it and felt like again that sort of epic feeling the same that you might get i for me i think it's more recognizable and memorable than than some of the themes that you just quoted that you just you know said that would have perhaps referenced it or yeah i mean i i think it's worth saying that bergman's performance i can't who played a what do you call her valerian valerian yeah. valerian that's her, her character's name i i really i really was surprised by it i didn't remember her from the first time that i watched it but i think i i've not seen her in anything else i recognize her but i think it's worth mentioning that she she did really excellently um, yeah, I think it's it's interesting because although she's kind of classically 80s, she's got a certain amount of Farrah Fawcett about her. Yeah, a little bit. Um, she's not actually classically sexy. She is a she's Valkyrie. Athletic. She's, she's athletic. A, yeah, yeah. And, and her predominant... She's not unattractive. I'm not trying to say anything no, like no. that. Um, but her predominant characteristic is that she's feisty... And she's a warrior. She's she, like yeah. you said. She's almost Arnold's equal. In fact, yeah. when they first meet, she's his superior in terms of fighting. She takes on him and Subotai at the same time. It is an interesting character, and I think it's a shame in a way that they killed her off because that reduced her to essentially the maiden role of someone who needs saving or avenging. And I think it's a shame that that happens to Valerian here because you end up with Marco in the battle, arguably sort of holding his own, but she's not there because she got killed earlier. And I think, yeah, she although is she, well, her spirit is, yeah, but I do think it's a bit of a shame and I would have liked to... And she I would, saves him. I would have rather had um, one of the, the other two male companions die than her because... It, it felt like a bit of a cheat to establish her as such a great warrior who's then so quickly dispatched. Well, so here's the interesting thing about the speed with which she's dispatched. Early on, again, like that first meeting that they have where Subutai and Conan run into Valerian as they're both of them are trying to infiltrate and or steal from uh, this cult's uh, tower in some yeah. random village. It's not Thorsa Doom's tower. They steal a gem. Like a big ruby. Yeah, yeah, like a big ruby, a bit more orangey. Conan ends up sort of giving it to her as a a gift, basically, as a sign of their love or some symbol like that. Now, when she does die, he wears it. He puts it on. He takes off this kind of another symbol that he's wearing. 
It looks it looks almost like a Rotary Club symbol. Yeah. Like a, a wheel of, of sorts, right? Yeah. And he, he yanks it's it off. The wheel, the wheel of pain, surely. Perhaps that's what it is. Uh, he takes it off. He throws it to the ground and puts on this gem. Mm-hmm. Now, Conan Destroyer, no gem. Yeah, so, I forgot about her. Yeah, because he's got so, a princess now. He yeah, doesn't care about her. Well, oh yeah. I don't, no, he doesn't hook up with her, does he? Well, this is the interesting thing. It's not thing. even implied. It's just at the, like... At the end, he rides off with her sort of hand in hand. Well, I say ride, they walk off together. I mean, they're the last two there in the middle of nowhere. Like, he's going to give her a ride, yeah? But what what we don't know, and that the filmmakers had intended at that point, and the audience would have known, but the scene was cut, is that the king, her father, is dead at that point. Thulsa Doom's cult caught up with him and killed him after um, oh, Conan see. and that left. So actually, there's there's quite a poignance at the end there where he's taking her back to her father, and when they get there, he's dead. So I think the suggestion would be, yeah, that Conan would protect her. He would take her on a journey with him. Yeah. Okay. So, but okay. So here's what's interesting. I think she's a good character. I think it's a bit much to say she was only killed to give Arnie motivation. No. Uh, I, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think that's a simplification. Yeah. yeah I mean, he. He already had motivation. Yeah. Right? Falsa Doom says it. He says, if you kill me, who will you become? I've made you. Yeah. I, you you have become this formidable warrior because of me. I get. I gave you that. I'm your father, which is... A, it was a bit much, actually, for me. It was too dark. I am your father. <laughs> I, I, I think it was... Two years... Yeah, two years after... Was not, it was by. too soon, like, to have the same voice saying I am your father well I didn't pick up on it to so. some disillusioned hero's journey dude you know it's just it was too much for me um, spo- spo- I was spoilers like, for Empire Strikes Back there by the way <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's, he's telling him he made him and there's a moment it, we take a beat and there's a moment where Conan's like huh yeah who will I become if I kill you and then he just fucking kills him. You know, he I, just I, chops his head off. You know, he just does it straight away. And of course, that's what what's what we all want. We don't want Arnie to got to slink off and go. Huh. But there was a moment when I was like, I don't really remember what happens. <laughs> and I thought, like, maybe he could become like Thalsa Doom's right hand man, and like he could. Uh, he's too good for that. He's too yeah, good exactly. For that. And so I was like, okay, good, fine. He killed him. But I was like, there's a whole interesting story there, like, like Bizarro or whatever. You can like. Have like an alternate universe where Conan never kills Thalsa Doom, and but maybe yeah. that's how Sven Oli Thorsen ended up with him. He was Conan before Conan. That's interesting. Yeah, and you can assume that a lot of the people in the cult, it just being enamoured by this sort of mythical figure and and charismatic leader, and they end up getting lots of children and whatever. And who knows? The Thalsa Doom character says he's he's not apologising, but he's like, oh yeah, I killed your I killed your parents when Arnie like. Gets in there and starts saying, oh, "Yeah," like, and he says, "I was young." You kill my mother. You kill her. Yeah, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I did that, didn't I?" Kind of that's his attitude. Like, "Oh yeah, that was." And he's like, "Oh, that's when I was younger." Kind of mm. thing. Like, don't do that anymore. <laughs> like, and it's sort of like, I don't care. I'm still going to kill you for doing it, right? I'm still going to chop off your head. And that moment that you were talking about, where um, it's it's you know at the climax of the film at the temple, Thalsa Dunes, you know, saying. Ride with me, basically. I think that's Arnie's best moment. He starts off with the scowl, and then he has that moment of, I could, you know, you know, this could be my life. 
And then he just goes, ah, fuck it, and takes his head off. It's a great beheading sequence, that. It is. Because it it's is. not just the clean, the clean sweep that his mum got. It's, he's hacking away yeah. at him, you know, to get yeah. rid of this thing. And James Earl Jones did it. That's the, that's the thing. They worked on it to make, he felt confident enough to do it. Yeah, he sadly, hack away, isn't it? sadly, he died. In the sequence after that, uh, they all, all of his cult, um, put their candles in the well or the pool or whatever, and put them out. And then Arnold goes down the steps and he does like a hammer throw with the, um, yeah, I don't know, it's like a flaming basket. That was supposed to be one shot, right? Where he he spins it around, he throws it up into the temple, and then the temple catches fire. Yeah, he so let go. Know. He let go at the wrong point and yeah. missed completely. But because the set was rigged to burn, it went up in flames. So they had to, you know, do a second shot of just the the, the basket landing. So I just thought that was quite funny. Okay, so the throw goes, it goes up, it lands. It's quite an epic moment, but I was really disappointed with it when he sets fire to Falsa Doom's stone palace. Right. Yeah. So, well, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that, so that's what I'm saying. It's like, okay, it's a stone palace. Will it really catch fire? And it doesn't really catch fire. I have to say, it. If they rigged the whole set to burn, they didn't do it very well. well and it did because it it's burning like a torch in the night when they go. But yeah, it does. It does catch. It does catch eventually. It just seemed a bit. I, I think. Yeah, but I think you know your 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 fireworks are. Him hacking James L. Jones's yeah, head agreed, off. Agreed. I think there's there's a really interesting somber tone to 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 that sequence. Oh, fine. Yeah, I'll take that. And that somber tone would mean that a massive explosion or whatever doesn't fit. I don't mind the slow burning. That's not really what I'm saying. I just didn't see it catch fire yeah, the yeah. way the way that I no, thought it, it might. Yeah, no, it doesn't make any um, sense. And yeah, your epic moment is his hammer throw, but. It just it didn't didn't quite work. It's great though, you know. It's great. Why do you cry? He's Conan, Sumerian. He does not cry, so I will cry for him. Is that your favourite line? Um, it wasn't going in, but I I did love that moment. Yeah, me too. At, at Valerian's uh, funeral, I had to go back through it to find my favourite line, and for me, it has to be when Arnie's praying to Kron. Oh, okay. It's my favourite favorite bit in the film um give me vengeance and if you cannot do that to hell with you <laughs> that's it it's like i've you know he says i've never played to you before but whatever and yeah that's it give me vengeance and if you're not listening to hell with you yeah and that's for me there's something about that actually it, i'm taking it out for two reasons one i think it's my favorite moment in the film two okay. it sits philosophically with the attitude that we've been mentioning that Arnie seems to have towards his work ethic. It's me, like, I'm doing this. Yeah. You can help or you know, get or not. Yeah. Like, yeah, get out of the way. I'm Just, gonna do I'm gonna do it with or without you. Yeah. And it even starts the prayer starts with him saying, like, in the end, you won't even remember why we fought. The important thing is that uh, two men stood against many. And it's just epic. It's epic, it's warrior like I like it. I like it. And I think he delivers it well. I'm still going to go with um, Arnold's first line of dialogue in the film. Oh, his actual first line of dialogue. I wrote, Conan, what is best in life? To crush your enemies, to see them driven before you, and to hear the lamentation of their women. Yeah, that might also be in line with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's life philosophy. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Um, it certainly was in in Pumping Iron, right? It seemed to be, seemed to fit. 
Something that I picked up from the IMDb tribute page, actually, is that is a, a paraphrasing of um, Genghis Khan. So, given yeah. everything, everything that we've been through to this point, we for anyone who's not been listening to the previous episodes, we're declaring Conan the Barbarian as the beginning of the second and most important phase in his career. The... Yeah. The golden years, if you want. And, and I think these years are... When you say Arnold Schwarzenegger movie to someone, these are the films. This and the films that we're going to do in the coming weeks that, that people think of yeah, most readily. I'd be very surprised when you say Schwarzenegger if anybody ever thinks of the films that we've, we've just done episodes on. Yeah. Like, no. So um, without recapping the whole of your, your ranking up to this date, where does... Conan sit does it sit comfortably at the top without a doubt man no it's it's number one yeah I think it would be churlish to try and make the argument that any of his previous films hold a candle to this so uh, in keeping with what we said we're going to do we're not going to run through the whole list but we'll just recap our top five okay so at the moment Ben your top five are Conan Pumping Iron Stay Hungry The Jane Mansfield Story and Hercules in New York correct and minor Conan, Pumping Iron, Jane Mansfield Story, Stay Hungry, and Cactus Jack. There may be, like you said, some contextualising required to enjoy the production value of the film, the makeup and, and some of the fighting choreography and things like that. I think any qualms that you've got with the way the film is made don't change the fact that it's really good script. Yeah, and this is where this is why we disagree, because I I know I know why you think it's a good script. It's I, I actually have the same reasons why I say it's almost it is just it's barely a good film is what I said I think at the beginning. Um it is a good film. I'm gonna I'm gonna say say that it is a good film. My reason for saying it isn't it's because I think that a great script was played with too much. And that's the feeling I got from it. And I was left there's certain areas where I was left disappointed actually wanting more. Um, and that's the other reason why I wanted to put it into context. And I had to actually remind myself, like, of of its time, this is pretty great, actually. I, I agree it's a good movie. I don't think I think it's as good as you you think it is. Um, See, I, I, I've never been a massive fan. Um, this is probably only the third or fourth time I've seen the film. Mm. But is I, it better uh, than you expected? Is that what it is, do you think, as well? Like, it is that, but I think I just appreciate... Because... Strangely, I've always looked at it as an Arnie film, and it doesn't deliver in what I expect an Arnie film to be or expected. Right? Yeah. This time, I was I was actually more looking at it as, well, this is a really good film. That's also a really good vehicle for Arnold. But I really can't pick any holes in the script. I think talking about whatever it was before it was made doesn't doesn't really matter. I think. What's up on screen in the dialogue and the narration and all that sort of stuff, and and especially the stuff that isn't said, the stuff that is told through music and visuals, is really solid. And I'd be surprised actually if it's not one of the the best films that Arnold has been in, even if it's not one of the best Arnold movies. I, I agreed, um, and I I de- it's definitely up there. And like you said, there is a sort of a massive gap between this movie and the ones we've seen before. I think it's a good movie for the same reasons that you do. I just don't think that it's that 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 makes a great it a good movie. movie. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's certainly not a great movie. Uh, it, it it was better than I than I remembered it being. Uh, it affected me differently watching it, 
I certainly like a lot of the ideas that have been put into this and that's why I agree with you that it's a good script and they're putting things in a film of this sort that you don't normally see. They're trying to have sort of gravitas and weight as opposed to going down the comic relief entertainment route yeah, and yeah. say, look, look at this, isn't this fun and entertaining? Oh, for and, sure. Yeah, and so don't get me wrong, I'm not saying it's not a good film. I'm saying it's a good film. I've oh, got I know, I know, I know. I'm just... I. I clearly think it's a better film than you do. That's yeah, all. That's really <laughs> uh, which it would surprise me. I I honestly felt that it was going to be the other way around. Okay. I love the movie, and it's still number one of both our lists. Yeah, I, yeah, and I love yeah. it. I I had a great time watching it. I was really yeah. happy. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's a the, top recommendation. The the biggest downside for me was the realization that set in quite early that we would have to watch Conan the Destroyer and Red Sonja, <laughs> especially. I so actually, wait. So this is another having having gone through the having trudged through uh, yeah, the, Arnie's yeah. previous films. We finally get to one where we say, "Yeah, this is the phase of Arnie's a better phase of Arnie's career, and he's making better movies, and we're going to have more fun doing this." You're telling me that you're going to experience a lull the next two films. Are they our next two films? I think they are actually. No, excuse me. Well, so Conan the Destroyer is definitely the next film, and Terminator. 84, yeah. Yeah, okay. in 84. And then Red Sonja. And then Red Sonja, 85. Well, I mean... That might be see, your favourite film. All I remember about Conan the Destroyer is... He's, he's probably more jacked in that than he is in this. Um, Grace Jones is in it, who yeah. I've never liked in anything. And I, I'm sure that they redo the Wheel of Pain gag in it. Well, that's the thing. So in Destroyer, he's wearing what what we have decided is the Wheel of Pain necklace. It's a gold version of the wooden thing that he tears off and throws down in favour of the snake jewel. What? How much did Oliver Stone have to do with Destroyer? Do you know? Nothing. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, he was he 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 wasn't involved in this. John Milius took it away from him and rewrote it. Yeah, yeah I'm aware of that. I'm aware yeah. of that. But so I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't really know. I don't know. We'll talk, I mean, <laughs> let's let's talk let's about yeah. Destroyer next time. But let's just let's say, look, I, I really enjoyed this. My expectations for Destroyer are very, very low. So let's hope that it delivers on some front. Um, but the good news coming out of that is that we've got arguably one of Arnie's very best films, The Terminator. After Agreed. That. So that's, that's yeah, really agreed. exciting. Um, my prediction is Pain. that we will see another Pretzi. Oh, okay. So um, is Grace Jones the comedy foil? No, no, no. She's oh, pretty fine. good in it. I, she's she's not bad in it actually. She's one of the better things about it. I, I'd have to say that's my memory anyway. Well, let's hope it's a very very young Rob Schneider. Um, <laughs> until then, uh, thank you for listening, Alex. Yep. Thank you for watching with me. Yeah, it was a pleasure. And um, I guess that's it. Wrong. No sequel for you. Bye-bye. If you've been moved by any of the issues raised in this week's show, or you'd like to offer us some abusive comments of your own, or maybe even a list of your favourite Arnold Schwarzenegger films, you can email us at thearnithology at gmail.com. Hmm. Or, if you're Facebook, you can go to Facebook forward slash thearnithology. Didn't see that coming. If you're a Twitterer, find us on Twitter, at The Arnithology. Or you can visit our website, 
www.arnithology.com. Thanks for listening.